everyone. Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks podcast, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. I'm Shannon, writing under the pen name of SC Houston, and today we're doing an off-season episode. Morgan and I are here today with some guests, and we're going to informally talk about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and what we learned for our writing and author journeys. Before our guests introduce themselves and we talk about the book, do you have any news or points of interest that you want to mention, Morgan? The only thing that I have coming up is I'm still working on the third book in my trilogy, which is set to come out at the end of this year. It was set to release in October. I'm still shooting for that, but it might take a little bit longer. So maybe November, December, but at least by the end of this year, it will be coming out. And that's, I think that's about it. That's all I got going on so far. Um, I'm looking forward to that, although I'm hoping for your October date because yeah. books don't sell very well in November and December. Yeah. Usually. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, my first book came out in November. That was before I knew that books didn't really do as well in November and December. But I think Ben also put out a book in his second mm-hmm. book in December, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, he he actually did really well. So I don't know. Maybe it's by genre. Maybe. Oh, well, I actually have a, a lot of news right now. First, we have the AuthorTube Writing Conference coming up in two weekends from now. That's June 23rd through the 25th. It's an entirely free writing conference that anyone can attend, and it all takes place on YouTube. You can find the full list of our speakers on the AuthorTubeWritingConference.com website, which will be linked in the show notes and in the description box. But the exciting news is that we have our first official sponsor, Fictionary. Fictionary is for creative writers looking to improve the plot, characters, and settings of their stories. If you are a visual person like me, this software is powerful in that it shows you your story arc, scenes, and point of views. Fictionary also guides you through your edit using 38 essential story elements, including hooks, conflict, tension, backstory, emotional impact, etc. I found Fictionary especially beneficial as a discovery writer because I do a reverse outline after I've written a story. And this made it really easy where I didn't have to do the reverse outline. After uploading my document with my novel, it automatically split it out by scenes and I was able to see at a glance everything that was happening in my book. And I was able to add notes to each section. Normally, Fictionary offers a free 14-day trial, but for everyone who comes to AuthorTube Writing Conference, there's going to be a special link where everyone can get a free month. My next big piece of news is that my next novel is coming out very soon. A Curse of Scales and Feathers is a fantasy romance, and it is a standalone novel and a series about dragons, fae, magic, and of course, a curse and a journey of finding love. I'm actually releasing my novel as part of a Kickstarter campaign where I'll also offer my entire backlist. Right now I have a reader magnet, which is a short story that takes place before the novel. You can get that by signing up on my email newsletter list, which I'll link in the show notes and description box as well. But this has been expanded into a prequel novella for the novel and will be available for the first time on Kickstarter along with the novel. My Kickstarter will open on June 22nd, which is just a week away, but you can preview it now by going to the link in the show notes and in the description box, or you can just search by title and see the pre-launch page. If you go to the pre-launch page and follow it, you'll be notified when it actually launches. I am very excited, but also very nervous about my Kickstarter campaign. And if you didn't know, it has to be fully funded or you don't receive any of the backing. So you have to meet the goal amount that you set for yourself. So if that interests you, please check it out. And I would really love and appreciate the support. Now let's have our guests introduce themselves. Please tell us who you are and anything that you would like to share for others to find out more about you. Hi, I'm Emma Bennett. I'm a UK-based writer, and I write contemporary romance and the occasional children's picture book. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here to talk about this book. I think it's the third time that I've read it. I find it so, so useful, and it's going to be really great to talk to other writers about it, because funnily enough, although I've used it a lot in other areas of my life, probably not in my writing. Um, Cool. I'm Andy, um, and I run the... uh... YouTube channel called Easy Graphics. Don't let the name fool you. 
it's not actually graphics based, it's actually all about self-publishing. I'm an indie author, currently I write mostly in the non-fiction area, but I am planning to transition into fiction eventually, I'm not sure when. Um, I too am very excited about discussing Atomic Habits by James Clear, it's going to be a blast. Personally, I've read it two and a half times. I say half because I do um, revisit it now and then, so it's not quite a full read, but I do make my own notes. And thank you for having me, everyone. All right, so let's go ahead and move into talking about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. Emma kind of said something about how she's used this before, but not for her writing. And if you didn't know, the book is not specifically for writers, although he does give some examples about writing because he wrote the book. He had to go through the process of writing to get to the book um, done. It is actually a way to approach living and business, writing, whatever it is that you want to do when it comes to actually habits. I picked this book for us to read because when I first heard about it, I thought it was a book that could be helpful for me. And the first time I actually heard about his book was on Jonah Penn's podcast, The Creative Pen. And it was an episode, it was about a year ago, where she talked about an example, which I did read in the book and was like, oh, there it is. We talked about uh, having two jars, one filled with paper clips, and you take a paper clip and you move it to the other jar whenever you finish a goal. So for like for writers, and the way she used this, uh, Jonah Penn used this specific example for herself was, you know, say she set a goal like of a thousand words that she wanted to write for each session. If she finished it, she'd moved one paper clip from one jar to the next jar. The idea is that over time, the originally empty jar will fill up and you can see your progress. So you might feel like you haven't achieved much in one writing session. Maybe that's just a hundred words, but over time, you're going to be able to focus on the process rather than the finished product itself, which is something that he talks about in the book. So um, I like to start with an excerpt of the book. No matter your goals, Atomic Habits offers a proven framework for improving every day. James Clear, one of the world's leading experts on habit formation, reveals practical strategies that will teach you exactly how to form good habits, break bad ones, and master the tiny behaviors that will lead to remarkable results. So the premise of the book is that you're going to learn how you can, yeah, make these better habits and get rid of some of the bad ones that you have. That way you can have a better process to achieving your goals. And I think that the book clearly, pun, their intended, right, James Clear, clearly fulfilled that promise. So I would have, what do you guys think? Do you think the, the book delivered on what it promised? And what are your general thoughts about the book? I think it definitely did. I think it can just be used in so many areas of your life. I mean, obviously, ideally, you'd use it all over and improve your life completely. But you can just kind of pick and choose little things that you particularly want to work on. So something that I used it for was exercising, because I'm naturally very lazy. And it, it really did make such a difference just using the strategies that he suggests. Yeah, I think it I think it really delivers. Absolutely. I've been using quite a few of these techniques over the years. I just hadn't thought about it in such a formal way. So James Clear really puts it down on paper quite well, delivers the contents with many examples, not just one or two. And yeah, I, I, I totally relate to it. Um, I still use quite a lot of it in, in my daily life. So if I'm procrastinating, which I'm famously known for, <laughs> I procrastinate about everything. What I tend to try and do, and it's covered in, in the book, it's called the two minute rule or something like that. And basically you, you just start something, anything, it doesn't matter what it is, just do it for a really small time, a really small, small step basically. And you do it for whatever the minimum is, set the bar really low. And then what you find typically is you tend to go a bit further. And every time you do that, you're building up more and more time. So for example, if you're going to be writing, in my case, I do struggle to get words in. I may just start writing for um, five minutes. And whether that's opening the file, actually writing, whatever it is, I'm going to do something for five minutes. And that gets me started and gets the ball rolling as it were. 
Yeah, and I would agree with what everyone else has already said. Um, I had never read the book before. This is my first time reading it, but I would listen to a lot of self-help kind of videos on YouTube and read a lot of self-help books. So I've heard like some of his tips and stuff, but reading the whole book was just extremely helpful. Like my book has so many tabs of like me taking notes and like how I'm going to implement it in different areas of my life. So I would say 100% it delivered on the promise of the premise. And yeah, I just really can't wait to use it to start making good habits, not just in writing, but like in every part of my life. All right. So the first question I have for you guys is um, how does the main premise of the book differ from other self-help or habit building books that you've read? And as I developed this question, I was like, this is going to be interesting for me to ask this because I don't think I've ever read a self-help book ever. I've read lots of like self-help books when it comes to writing, but not like, like this, like, you know, the best way to develop character or the best way to develop plot. So it's not like me personally. And I, I don't know why I've never read one other than maybe I just always read other things and I don't, I don't know. I don't know why I've never read a self-help book before, but after reading this, I'm like, wow, I wonder what I was missing. <laughs> so what about for you guys? I, I read self-help books quite a bit, <laughs> um, but that's partly because I'm a nonfiction author. So yeah, I, I really, I really do think it's, it's good stuff. What's covered in the book. I'm going to na not name any books um, because number one, I can't remember them <laughs> more often than not. It's usually covered as part of another um, topic, but the fundamental idea is that people want quick results. And generally what I've read or come across has been mostly about how you can get quick results and quick results in my view, and I, I've tried it myself, seldom sticks for the long term. So if you're going to make it a habit, that tends to be longer term. Whereas most of what I've read in the past has been more about getting that quick fix, that quick win. You get a, a feeling of a high, but after a, a few days or a few weeks, fall off the wagon. That's quite common with weight loss, for example, fitness. People will tell you to go on a certain diet, do a certain exercise. You're going to lose like 5 billion pounds by, by tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> you know, um, oh, there's this magic pill or whatever. It's, it's all down to like a, a really quick fix, one or two day kind of immediate results. And my experience of trying those things out, um, not specifically about health, but other things has been, it's never stuck. And I, I tried other methods, specifically the ones that James has also talked about, where you use progressive methods to get the habit to stick. And then once the habit sticks, I have so far lasted way, way, way longer. We're talking not weeks, we're talking months, in some cases, years with um, behavior change, essentially. So you change the habit, you change your behavior, um, you change a bit of who you are in a way. And that, that's what I'm aiming for. So if you want to do something and you want to be a different person, then you've got to make some changes that, that stick for the long term. And the like the type of books, self-help books I usually have read were more so like law of attraction, manifestation, like thinking your way out of like your bad habits or bad situation. And to me, like those aren't practical. Like I can't really do anything <laughs> with those. So for me, like Atomic Habits was like, it was clear like steps, like it was something like physically for me to do instead of like, I don't know, like instead of like trying to think your way out of it or I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Someone it's else. more tangible that if you have an actual yeah. process to follow versus just something that's intangible, like thoughts. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's some step-by-step -step where he says, do this. And then if I do this, I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to, you know, reward yeah. myself with something. So he, he does actually give you like a, a process to it. It's not just, Ooh, I wish about whatever. I hope this and, and that kind of thing. It's more like I am going to, 
read one page and then I'm going to have tea or, or something, something like that. Yeah. Or even like with the like identity section where he's like, if you're a writer, you will do these things like your identity and your habits kind of go hand in hand. But like for some of the other like self-help books, it's like you're just saying you are this thing, but you're not doing anything like to reflect that. So I think that's kind of where the, I see the difference, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's very attainable because it's all about compound growth. So you can start really, really small. And if you do mess up a bit, as long as you do something towards that goal that you set yourself, you're still on the right path, which I really liked. Yeah, and, and definitely the idea that of compound growth, we are almost programmed, especially given things like TikTok and YouTube shorts, like instant gratification. We do this now, we want to see something now, but that doesn't lead to real change or meeting the goals that you need to meet. Um, so yeah, I definitely, that was one thing I really liked as well. Okay, so one of the key ideas in this book is the habit loop. And, and I would say that the majority of this book is made around the habit loop, which is cue, craving, response, and reward. And I wanted to ask how this could apply in your writing life. But let me just talk about a little bit what these four things are so that any listeners who have not read the book, they have an idea of what we're talking about. And uh, cues is where you make um, something obvious. And, and usually this is when you have a habit that happens when you have a cue, but you don't realize you are doing that. So one of the examples he gave was of life, like a lifeguard who is used to telling kids, hey, no running. And now they were out of the lifeguard situation for a while, but they, you saw a kid running, they yelled, don't run or walk or whatever it was this phrase was. And so later on, he sees kids running and he says, no running. It was automatic. It was a cue. So that cue, the, the, the idea is you have to make it obvious and it's more of making it obvious to yourself. You need to be aware of what cues you're reacting to, to develop the habits that you want. <laughs> so that's what cue is. Craving is when you're trying to make something attractive. And basically this could, I love this. In the AuthorTube community, which is a subset of writers and publishers and authors on YouTube, you know, we always talk about, well, after you finish your book, what's your reward going to be? You know, are you going to take a day off? Are you going to go to a spa? What are you going to do? And this reward looks different for every person. Different personalities, I think, work differently with different rewards. But that's kind of the idea is this craving. If you make your um, habit attractive, whatever, whatever those, those goals are that you have leading up to get to that habit. If you make those goals and your habit attractive to you, so you're going to give yourself a reward by doing this one thing every day, then you're making it attractive. And that's when you start craving doing those actual, you know, habits to get to your overall building of that habit for your goals. If that makes sense. I keep saying habit. And I think there's a better word there, but I don't, don't know what the right word would be. Um, response, which is make it easy. So um, this is where what Andy was talking about the two minutes, you know, make it easy. If, if you know you want, you want to sit down and you want to write every day, that's something that you want to do, then maybe you start with just, you know, 8, 8 a.m. I'm going to sit down on my computer. I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to open a document. So you do that for the first whatever you set times for yourself. Then, you know, after a certain period of time, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write one sentence. I'm going to sit down and write one paragraph. And you make it longer and longer and longer. And the one thing that I liked here that um, that made sense was that, you know, it's it's all about Again, you know, you don't do something now and get reward now because then those don't develop lifelong habits. I mean, reward now as in you do something and you get an output of, of your goal. It's more this idea of building up over time. And so it's about the process and not the eventual goal. So you might say, I want to write a book, but it's more about the process. Developing these habits is, is writing the book itself, the process of the whole process, all that it takes versus that, you know, saying I'm just going to put out a book. Because for someone who's never written a book, when you think about writing, you know, 
what's a minimum book, like 30, 40,000 words or NaNoWriMo's 50,000 words. That seems like a lot if you've never written a book before. So you take it step by step. And so make it easy. That's your response. Reward is make it satisfying. This kind of sounds like the same as craving, but it's not. This is increase the odds of behavior by being repeated. So this is more about having repeatable behaviors to create the habit and the reward. Okay, so I covered those. So for you guys, you can just give like one example or one of these for how could you apply this to your writing life? Um, I, I use the cues quite a lot. So I um, make it really obvious so that I know I need to do this. And um, I also make sure I set a very, very, very low bar so that I'm not overwhelmed. Like your NaNoWriMo example, if your target is 50,000 words, some people can do 50,000 words in like two weeks. I, I don't doubt that. But for the regular person or for the untrained person, such as myself, you know, 50,000 words is really difficult. It really is. 5,000 words in, in what I write, 5,000 words can be challenging because nonfiction books can be typically 30,000 or so, probably more, but 30,000 is kind of like the minimum benchmark. So 30,000, it's going to take me quite a few months. 5,000 words does not flow. There's a lot of research and all that involved, thinking involved. So if I'm trying to aim for um, 50,000, it's going to be a long thing. So I'm going to try and keep the cues easy, keep the bar set really low. I'm going to just aim for five minutes of work, five minutes of writing, five minutes of something. And usually that transforms into 50 minutes before you know it. Yeah, I think I tend to use the cue and the craving quite a bit. So I don't tend to write at all in the morning. I'm not the morning person at all. So morning tends to be family time and doing house stuff. And then I'll have lunch. And then I know that after lunch is when I sit down to begin work. And I make myself a nice cup of coffee after lunch and bring it with me. So that's kind of my reward for the fact that I'm sitting down and I'm doing the work. For me, I feel like making my coffee is my cue. Like it's my cue to to start the writing process. So I kind of thought of this habit loop as like a writing, in, in terms of writing, like a writing routine almost. Like what is the thing that's going to put you in the desire to write, like the craving part of writing, like, oh, when I do this, when this happens, now it's time to sit down and write. So I was thinking of it like that. So the coffee is my cue that I sit down. Now I want to start writing. And yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, um, I think, Morgan, did you say you, you had read this book before? Or, you know, you just heard about it. Yeah. So I think that makes a difference between uh, you and I compared to Andy and Emma. Like Andy and, Andy and Emma is like, you know, cue and craving. Like they use these words and they know how it's used. And I'm like, when I read the book, I was like, that's a cue. That's what cue is. I, I've never had a cue that I made obvious because I didn't even think it was in. It was not obvious to me at all. Yeah. I'm sure that I had them, but they were not obvious. I, so that's not something that I was using in my writing life. Did, did you feel that way too? When you, you were reading some of it, you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. As far as applying this to my my writing life in the future, Q would be the biggest one for me to use because when I look at response and reward, I already do those things. So like response is, you know, is repetition, um, not perfection. You know, habits are based on frequency, not time. And that was something I automatically responded to when I was reviewing my goals from last year that I didn't write as much as I wanted last year. So I responded to that by saying, you know what, I'm going to have dedicated writing sprints at my accountability streams Monday through Thursday, if I can get it in there for three hours a day. And so that was my, my response, you know, so I was already doing that. And then, then the reward, he talks about celebrating. He says, okay, you get a habit to stick 
by celebrating small successes. And this is something that we've often talked about on author two as well, you know, celebrate the, the small steps. And, you know, if you, you got 500 words done, you got 500 words done today. Even if someone else got 5,000, it doesn't matter. You got 500. That's a small success for you. And it gets you closer to your goal. So you have to celebrate. And I was like, well, yeah, we already do that. I try to celebrate in my mind. I don't do anything outwardly. So for, for me, making things attractive, you know, like giving myself a reward is the completion itself, which is actually part of my personality um, complex, I guess, whatever you call that from like Becca Syme with the Clifton Strengths, that my top five lead to that, that my I get enjoyment from completing a task. So I don't like need an additional reward on that because I get enjoyment from just getting something done. Like I said, that could be different for different personalities and, and people and what, what works for them. So yeah. Okay. So and I would definitely say if you have not read this book, read it because even for these I think he does that for all four sections and he combines it all together. For each section, he says, here is a statement that you can write. And he, you just fill in the blanks. He gives you the, the, the sentence and you just fill in the blanks. And like the first one, the cue, that's it. Part of that cue is stating your intention. And um, there is a writer, she's Courtney, she's on YouTube under the Courtney Project. And I, they always start, whenever she does a writing spirit, she says, state your intention. And then you say, you know, what you did after the end of the writing sprint. And I always thought that was kind of cool because you're saying, okay, my intention is I'm going to write this many words, or I'm going to complete this scene, or my intention is that I'm going to have an argument between my characters or whatever. You know, it's a kind of a cool way to start off. So I think that's kind of, it's really cool. I really loved a lot of things that I was able to pick up, things that I've already done, things I've seen other people doing that I see working, and then things I didn't understand, like I didn't know were there, like making it obvious. <laughs> so that's definitely something I'm going to do in the future for me. All right. So next question is about identity, which uh, you guys have kind of touched on. And, uh, you know, Claire discusses the importance of identity and habit formation. For us, this means identifying as writers. And this may be hard to do. Our self-perception can influence our ability to establish and maintain these habits. So the question will be, what did you take away from this point that can help you or other writers create a solid identity for us? And I, I'm going to go first on this one and then y'all can <laughs> do yours. Um, so I think this is very, very important. And this was another one that I have already been evolving on before now, because I would say a lot of us writers, I feel that a lot of us, well, a lot of us are introverted, but then we're also, so the introversion kind of leads to, well, I'm not going to go out and say, yeah, I'm a writer, I'm an author, I have something published, or I'm about to publish something or whatever it is. You know, we're not, we're not that type of bunch. Most of us are not that type of bunch. And some of that comes too from that, um, not just being introverted, but you know, we don't feel like that, that we should do that. And I don't, I don't always understand why we feel that way. Cause I feel that way too. I don't know why I feel that way, but I think by claiming that identity, it makes things easier. So like one thing that we've learned on this podcast, almost everybody hates doing marketing. And I think it's because as an indie author, when you market, you're marketing your book, but most times that you and your book kind of go together, you're marketing yourself. And that's very hard for us to do, I think, as writers. It's hard for us to market ourselves because of all these uh, these things, right? And I think that by claiming the fact that we are, and I know, uh, Emma, uh, you are also traditionally published. And I'm, I feel, even though I keep saying indie, I know I kind of feel this may be the same for traditionally published authors that, you know, especially if you're, you've not been publishing for long or you don't have a lot of books out there, you might feel like it's hard to market myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's super embarrassing. Yeah, it's embarrassing. So I mean, because you become part of your your face, your your brand, your identity, whatever it is. I know, Andy, you don't have a face. Um, <laughs> um, becomes part of your identity with the book. And so I think this is a very important thing for us, because I think that the moment that we claim it, and we feel it, so I can't, you can't just say, oh, I'm an author, you know, because you can be like, I'm an author, or I'm an author, or, you know, it's the way you claim that can help you better market yourself. And that's my thought from this. That's kind of what I got from this. I was already evolving on this idea, especially with doing a Kickstarter campaign. I've been 
so scared to tell people I'm doing this case story campaign because I was nervous and I didn't want to share it with like anybody or like everybody. I shared it with a few people. All you guys knew already. But when this podcast comes out, the majority of the public that are exposed that I'm exposed to, they will be learning for the first time that I'm doing a Kickstarter because I have not just gone out there and said it. I haven't tooted my horn because I was nervous for this happening. And so I'm like, oh, I got I got to own this identity that I'm an author, that I'm a writer so that I can do what's best for my business and be successful. So. That's my response to it. I'll say it again. So just in case you guys forgot the question, since I talked so, so long. So Claire discusses the importance of identity uh, in habit formation. What did you take away from this point that can help you or other writers create a solid identity for us? I think this actually works on two levels. It works firstly, because I think if you say it to yourself, you're, you're feeling it within yourself and you're seeing yourself as that thing. But also, if you're saying it to other people as well, um, not only is I think it's good for you to put it out there, but also if you're then seeing the same people six months later and you haven't done any writing and they're saying, oh, you're a writer, aren't you? You know, um, what have you been doing? You haven't done anything. You're going to be embarrassed. So it's kind of pushing you to do more with your writing that way as well. Oh, yeah. I was um, I was trying to look for the reference in the book and I couldn't find it, but there was a, a bit about um, identity and talking about yourself in the in in a certain manner. So if you're an athlete, you you you're looking to um, run a certain distance or whatever it is. You know, instead of identifying yourself as a runner, you would identify as a um, person who's working towards something. Okay, so if if I was a writer, I'll be trying to say something like along the lines of I am working towards writing a book. Instead of saying I'm a writer, I'll say something along those lines instead. Um, so that it feels a bit less pressured <laughs> to me anyway. Um, so I don't feel like, oh, I have to do like 50 billion words by tomorrow. I can say I do writing regularly as part of my life and that automatically makes me a writer um, and you can identify in other ways I, I i i was trying to find the chapter in the book but i couldn't find it <laughs> um james clear does much better explaining this it might be page like 39 and 40 is that what you mean like i'm the kind of teacher who stands up for her students i'm the kind of doctor who gives each patient the time and empathy they need there was this um, no it was later in the book it was later in the oh, book. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I just it read it this morning it was towards the end yeah it was oh, okay. i just can't remember where um and, and it was mm -hmm. sorry oh here you go i found it i am i'm an athlete so if i'm an athlete it becomes i'm the type of person who is mentally tough and loves a physical challenge mm. um I'll, i was basically trying to say something along those lines okay so claiming the identity and then figuring out what that means that's your right head. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's it. Because what, what he also says is that you shouldn't be too stuck on how you identify yourself as because I think one of the examples he uses is if you say, you know, you identify as a businessman, when you then retire, well, what are you, you've, you've lost your identity. So mm -hmm. it's important to take that Thing that you identify as and then kind of take the habits that make that so maybe as a you know I'm the kind of person who is good at organizing my time and managing people might be a different way of saying I identify as a businessman for example exactly so it'll, it'll be we're all authors or writers um, so maybe our, our stuff would be I work on my publishing business 
parcel which is writing, parcel which is marketing, and, and so on. I think I found that where you said, I'm the kind of teacher who stands up for students. I'm the kind of doctor who gives each patient time and energy or empathy they need. I'm the kind of manager mm -hmm. who pays for employees. So yeah, so yeah, for example, who is the type of person who could write a book? It's probably someone who's consistent and reliable. Now your focus shifts from writing a book, outcome-based. So as I say, I'm going to write a book, right? To being the type of person who's consistent and reliable. So it is claiming that identity that means, you know, whatever you specifically you're, you're identifying that with, which is, you know, if writing, then consistent and, or whatever, whatever it is that you identify that as. This person, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Morgan. I mean, I think that also like ties into the conversation of like, if you can call yourself a writer or like, if you can call yourself an author, when new writers come in and they have like so much pressure, especially on AuthorTube, just in AuthorTube in general, of like all of these people and this is how they do it and this is how, and they think that I'm supposed to be doing all of these things or I can't call myself this thing. So I think like with establishing your identity, yes, you should claim that yes, you are a writer, but also know like the habits that form that form that identity, like you are a creative person who expresses themselves through words. And that could be, you know, that could be writing poetry, that could be writing anything that could be singing a song. So as not to get so like stuck on kind of what Andy was talking about, letting that identity, like once that identity is gone, like what if you can't publish any more books anymore? Like, are you still a writer? Is that like, are you still part, is that still part of your identity? So I don't and know if any of that made sense. Yeah. And I think that that is interesting too, because I, I learned since coming to AuthorTube, there are people who consider themselves authors, which mm -hmm. was not the, the, the definition they use for author is not the definition I gave to author, but there's really no right or wrong answer. And, and, you know, and I have come to understand, okay, so an author is not because for myself, I gave myself the identity of writer and I wasn't author until I published my work for public. And then I didn't even count like my short um, piece that I had in a literary magazine back in like 2011. It was a creative nonfiction piece. You know, I didn't even consider myself an author then. <laughs> so it wasn't until I published my first book that I considered myself an author. But there are people who, you know, well, no, I've published my work. I may not be making money, but it's like on Wattpad. It's, it's available for the public. Mm -hmm. So I'm an author. And it's a different, it was a different way of um, defining the identity. It's, it's, it goes back to you need to define it for yourself and then embrace that identity, whatever that means for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Clear talks about the concept of habit stacking, attaching a new habit to an existing one. And this technique helps in building new habits effectively. Can you think of an example of how you could implement habit stacking in your writing life? Yes, I can. I can think of so many examples. <laughs> um, basically, I have a um, schedule for the day, sometimes, not all the time, but most days, weekdays, especially, um, where I, I set up my queue. So my queue is I have breakfast and then I'm going to do this. I, I don't know the specific wording that James Clear uses, but that's basically what it is. I do something and then I'm going to do the next habit. Um, and after the next habit, I'm going to do the next habit and, and so on. So it gets me to, uh, to through most of my day actually, um, and covers quite a few things. It starts off with breakfast, moves on swiftly to uh, checking whatever um, sales pages I might need, like the KDP dashboard. Um, and then it goes into doing a bit of rising and after the rising it goes on to either a snack or a lunch and my reward at the end of the uh, snack or lunch is, is a cup of tea nice warm cup of tea so after that i take a short break i do a bit more work and my reward after all that is i get to work out which i find um slightly therapeutic you know a bit of release of uh, stress and tension and that's how i kind of stack the habits so 
I do one thing, which is my cue. So breakfast is the cue to start the habit loop. Um, and then I go through like a few habits before I get to the end of the day um, where I just take it easy. And that's how I use it. The main way that I use this was um, when I was getting set up to do my first NaNoWriMo last year. So I was trying to work out a way that I would be able to get the number of words that I would need to write in every day and basically I needed to sit and stay and I'm not very good at that I get very easily distracted I tend to write in the middle of my household and I'm very very nosy and I'm generally messaging Andy on discord and everything else so what I did was I set up my live streams for every weekday and that meant that I did have to sit and stay but it also meant that by putting those habits together, I was building up my YouTube channel as well and getting the watch hours and getting some new subscribers. So it worked really, really well. As of right now, I'm not effectively using habit stacking, but I do see how it could be very beneficial in the future. These past couple of days since I've been reading the book, I've tried um, some habit stacking just like with my morning routine, not related to writing, but like when I wake up, I journal and then as soon as I get out of bed I take my vitamins and then I go to the bathroom get ready for the day and just like like that so it's I don't have to think about it like that's just the sequence of events that happens in the morning um so I'm trying to continue that throughout my day and throughout different areas of my life so that the I can have more mental space for like the fun stuff like writing instead of like because I'm my mind is very chaotic <laughs> and there's a lot there's a lot going on. I have a lot to to keep track of just in my life in general. So I'm trying, well, I will be trying in the in the near future to habit stack my life. So I'm excited to get to get going on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I have never thought of this idea of habit stacking before. Uh, but I think, again, this is like one that probably has started doing, which is, you know, I knew that I wanted to be writing more. And I thought about, okay, what can lead to me writing more? Well, I was already doing a lot of stuff on YouTube and I was doing a writing sprints every Friday, I think then. And I thought, well, what if I just add more writing sprints and I make it every day, you know, Monday through Thursday. So that way I am in like, like Emma said, I'm in one place where I'm sitting down and I have to write. I don't think I get as distracted from what I'm doing in my sitting down position, but what will distract me is like, the idea that I have other things I need to get done too. So then I'll start going to that. But then if my mind starts jumping, then I'm jumping all over the place to different things that I, I need to get done. So I've tried blocking out, okay, this this time here is just for writing. This time here is for this. And and I'm it's not it's not perfect. I'm working on it still trying to figure out what else I can do. I don't I don't know at this time what else I can do to implement a habit stacking in my writing life. You know, and I'm saying saying this from a position where I've, you know, I've written several completed books. So but if I was starting out, probably the best way to do this would be you know, pairing those rewards, you know, make making it attractive, making your cue, making it look attractive to yourself and doing small, something small to start with. You know, I'm going to write for five minutes a day. Now, some people say, you know, get up a little bit earlier every day and write. And that doesn't always work for everybody. If you're not a morning person, it definitely doesn't work. I am a morning person, but my mornings are booked with um, my husband and I, we switch off. One of us takes care of the kiddo and the other one goes to the gym. And he's an early riser. So like when we get up, he's already up. And we're up at five o'clock morning, he's already up. So it's not, I can't really get up earlier. I've tried to get up earlier than that. And I don't do well on that. So, I, you know, you have to find what works for you. But I, that's, I would probably use some of these strategies. Um, the cues, you know, making it, making it obvious. Set, state, state your intention. 
And then what is your, what is going to make it more attractive to you? One thing I did implement last year was getting an accountability partner. And I think that really, really helped. And that was just for writing. So, you know, I guess in a way that was a bit of a, like I already knew I was supposed to write every day, but she was several hours ahead of me in the future. So we would reach out and say, Hey, have you written today? Well, since I was up, you know, three hours before she was, and then, you know, she took care of kiddos. So it's not like she sat down and wrote for the right away in the morning. So I would have to say, Hey, did you write today? Here's what I wrote. And so that became my routine. So I would tell her how much I had written that day. And if it got to a point where I was supposed to be sending my text message to her and I had not written anything it made me sit down and write. So I could tell her I wrote 10 words. <laughs> Cause, uh, and we set our intentions with each other. You know, I told her I wanted to write every day. She told me she wanted to write 50 words every day. So we held each other to those accountability goals. So well, James Clear does actually have a section, doesn't he, about yes. surrounding yourself with the right people and people who have the same values as you and who are going to support you and also push you to do better. So, and I think that's something that we've all found on AuthorTube that everybody's all supporting each other and we've all got similar goals. Yes, definitely. And he does have a section on, uh, well, it's not his own section, but in the re when he talks about the rewards, one of those chapters, he talks about um, how an accountability partner can be helpful mm -hmm. in having that habit tracking every day, which is going to be the next question. But Andy, did you want to say something first? Yeah, it's it's actually not related to James Clear, but I did actually do some research um, a few months ago on um, accountability partners and different um, methods to try and improve achieving a goal. An accountability partner was actually right up there with yeah i think it was basically the best so if you haven't if you have goals that's great everyone has goals if you add habit tracking that's better um but if you have an accountability partner on top of goals habit tracking all the other stuff then you you really give yourself a much better chance no guarantees but a much higher chance of achieving what you set out to achieve well that leads us into our next question which is going to be our last one because we're coming down on time, which is the author discusses, that's James Clear, the concept of habit tracking and measurement. How does keeping track of your habits and progress contribute to habit formation? And do you think tracking habits is beneficial for everyone or are there situations where it may be counterproductive? I'm going to go ahead and go first this time, um, which is I, I, I'm i going to attack the second question here, which is, is it beneficial for everyone or are there situations where it could be counterproductive? And when I was reading this section, the very first thing I thought of a question, he answered it almost right away, which is habit tracking is a habit in itself because <laughs> you have to get in the habit of writing stuff down. And I know this firsthand from the fact that the goal that I made for myself to write more this year, I told myself I'm going to track it, how much I'm writing. And I told myself what I'm going to track. And so that was a, a, a habit that I had to enforce with myself while I was writing. And I'd sit down every day. I'd start off, you know, tracking first. Here's what I'm working on. Here's the writing process part on that. Because I wrote whether I was drafting, editing, revising, or whatnot, you know, the or outlining, brainstorming. I don't really outline brainstorming. So I wrote down what I was doing. And then I would write. And then I would write down how, when I was finished with my writing session, I'd write down the time. And then I'd write down the words. I was, I, I was curious to know what how many words I'd write in drafting and what does that look like when it comes to editing and revising and things like that. So I do think that it could be counterproductive to track your habits. It's, I don't think it's beneficial for everyone, possibly, if you're not very good at forming habits in the first place. <laughs> because tracking what you're doing is a habit and I fall off. I've already fallen off. I did stick with it. I stuck with it for about three and a half months. We're in June. So there's almost two months I didn't make it tracking stuff. 
So uh, I would just say I would agree with Shannon because that's the thing that messes me up is the habit of tracking my habits. And I still have not found a way around that or what would be beneficial for me. I did like the two, like the jars of the paper clips. And I, I was thinking that maybe that would be better because it's visual and it's in front of me instead of a notebook that I can close and then stuff in the bottom of a drawer and not look at it again. So, yeah. So I, I'm not sure if it's counterproductive, but it, it's, it's challenging for at least for me and, and Janet. <laughs> so, but I do think it, it, it can be beneficial just, just for the knowledge that you are improving and that you're doing something. It's nice to have a record of what you're doing. I just would like to find a way that I can habit track in a, in a, in a better, a better system or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to jump in and say I'm going to combine two things on this habit tracking thing. And that is a couple of things that James Clare talks about. So number one, the Goldilocks, Goldilocks rule. I don't know if you guys have reached that bit or remember that bit. And I'm going to combine that with reviewing and making adjustments to your habits. So I think habit tracking in itself is great if you can do it. Not everyone can. Um, it can be kind of, and this is where I think the Goldilocks rule comes in, where if you are within the sweet spot where work is is interesting, it's exciting, you want to do it, then that's great. It's not too challenging because when it gets to too challenging, it kind of demotivates people, right? So if I say you got to do 5 billion words by in two hours time, you know it's not going to be achievable, in which case you're not even going to start. But if I said, okay, I just need to do 50 words in the next five hours, that is completely achievable in, in your skill set. You know, so you you would probably be okay with that. Um, but I would just pair that with, if you're going to do something like that, make sure you review the habits and tracking your habits. So if I'm going to use a um, workout analogy, so I work out, I can do, let's say 10 push-ups. That's, that's standard. I'm That's not really going to challenge me in five months, you know? So I need to in either increase that or add weight or something. And at some point between now and five months, I should be regularly reviewing what my habits are and am I improving, but not challenging myself too, too much. Because if the challenge is too much, um, it may actually defeat defeat me mentally and demotivate me. So it's kind of like staying in that sweet spot, the Goldilocks zone to be challenged, but also be able to achieve it. And you can you know, incorporate a reward there. So if you do like 50 push-ups, reward yourself with a small cookie <laughs> or pie, uh, no cake <laughs> and and make sure you review the um the habits so that you are co constantly being challenged but not too far outside your comfort zone yeah and and that golden rule that you were talking about that is something that's talked about in the book just in case that wasn't clear to any of the, the listeners also want to make it clear the reason why andy said cake is because he doesn't like cake I except banana cake, banana banana cake. <laughs> that's right uh, yeah, I think I do like to actually track my habits because like Andy says, unless you you track them and you're reviewing them, you can't really know how well they're working and if there's anything that you need to tweak. Like I was wanting to exercise, I was wanting to exercise six times a week, just a small amount. And I knew that I would only do it if I did it first thing in the morning. That's Otherwise, I just forget about it. Or I put it off. It doesn't happen. So I set that up as a habit. But I found I was still missing it sometimes. And I tried to work out why. And that's because I wasn't putting on a bra first thing as soon as I got up. 
so that I could exercise with a bra on. And as soon as I realized that and I changed that habit, I was exercising. So that was a cue. Putting on the bra was, was a cue. Yeah, the cue, the cue was the bra. Yeah. But if I hadn't kind of been reviewing and working out, okay, so I'm doing okay, but why am I missing certain days? Why are there days when I'm not doing it? And it was because I was having my breakfast and then I was having to go back upstairs and get changed to go and do it. So by taking that out of it, I could just go and do it straight away. And that's what made the difference. It's it's really crazy, isn't it? It's something so, so small that if you overlook it, it just kind of messes up the habit. But yeah. if, you, if you manage to uh, pinpoint what it is, it's such a small change that makes a, a huge impact down the road. Yeah. You know, something I would also say is I think there there is maybe something there. I know, Emma, you were saying how you, you track everything. And if you don't track it, how would you know if what you're doing is working? And I wonder if some of us might... Um, internalize it more. For instance, you know, the fact that, you know, Morgan and I, we, we start things, but then we don't finish it. Maybe it's because we learned that it didn't work or what we were doing did work and we no longer have to track it. Because I think about the fact that I was tracking my writing. I was seeing what I was doing. I was making progress. I could see everything. I saw exactly what my accountability writing streams were doing for my writing life. And I think at some point that might be part of the reason why I stopped tracking it because I knew it was working. Like I, okay, okay, good. This is working. I don't yeah, because you've been doing it for a while. But for example, if you said, right, I want to, I want to write every day, and I, I want to write a thousand words every day, and you, for some reason, you realized, oh, there are some days when I'm not doing this, unless you've written it down and you know what those days are. So, for example, maybe on Wednesdays you don't get it done because you always have to go and take your kid to football practice, and that interferes with it. And on Saturdays, you don't do it because your mother-in-law always comes around for coffee or something. I don't know. But it, unless you've actually kind of written it down and you're tracking it, it might be quite easy to let it slide and not to realize the things that are stopping it from happening. Yeah. I, I, would, I would also just want to add one final bit. You don't have to make a huge song and dance about tracking habit. So do what works for you. If, if you want to do a spreadsheet, like people like Richard might love spreadsheets. If that works for you, by all means, set up 50 spreadsheets to track one habit, 50 habits a day. But if it doesn't work for you, the the mental cue, the mental habit tracking, for me, it's like I go into my KDP ads dashboard and I check every single day, sometimes a few times a day, to see what my spend is. I don't like make a, a note that I tracked that, you know what I mean? So you can just mentally do it without, you know, creating a spreadsheet and, and writing it down or anything. If it works to track that habit on paper or using pins or something to uh, move it from one place to another, by all means do that. But you don't have to um, overcomplicate it, basically. Yeah. And, and he's talking about Richard Holiday, who is our second guest in our third episode of the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks podcast. If you want to go back and hear Richard's interview. Yes, I think the, the idea of having a visual tracker works really well for some people. It would work well for me. I'm a very visual person like I have a visual outline in my head versus one on paper so having that jar or something similar that would work great for me I think I've already thought about how I can incorporate that in in my writing life and, and marketing aspects so yeah so I said that was the last question but we do have a final question which is our kind of like the question that goes with our podcast which is what is the best tip or trick you learned from James Clear's book Atomic Habits 
Um, I'll go first. For me, by far, it's the two-minute rule. Yeah, he calls it the two-minute rule. Basically, just get started with something really small, just to get you going, and then as you go, build on that and keep up the momentum. And uh, for me, it's that you don't rise to your goals; you fall to the level of your systems. So there's no point in making these lofty goals if you haven't got systems in place that are going to help you to reach them. I was going to say the same thing, <laughs> but I will also say that long-term thinking is goalless thinking. So kind of to what Emma said, like, it's not, if you're just making all of these goals, that's not long-term, it's not sustainable. You need to break it down to the small daily habits that are going to have these long-term effects on your life. And I'm going to take it back to the beginning with Q because that, to me, Q was not obvious. And the whole idea of Q is make it obvious, which comes from stating your intentions, which I've heard that before. But part of stating your intentions is recognizing cues, like the putting on the bra and, you know, going to the gym. And I think that we have to try to be more intentional in our life. Whatever it is that you're trying to set goal for, so our writing life, we need to be intentional. What happens when you don't have a good writing day? Did something happen? Was it a rainy day? Maybe that's a cue. When you have rainy days, you don't write well. And so becoming aware of these things, which is the first part of this loop, I think is important. And I didn't even realize that before. And it's not something I ever thought of. So I was glad to to learn something new for sure from this. All right. Well, thank you so much to our guests, uh, Emma and Andy. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to read the book and talk with us about James Clear's Atomic Habits. All right. So links for each of our guests are in the show notes for the podcast and in the description box for YouTube. Don't forget about the upcoming AuthorTube Writing Conference. And if you have a moment, please check out my Kickstarter campaign. It'll be live by the time we start season three. You can also sign up on my newsletter to receive the short story and get updates about the Kickstarter when it goes live. So thank you so much to our listeners and viewers. Morgan Ben and I will be back with a brand new season on July 1st. And we're interviewing Estelle Vandeveld and asking her questions about how to translate your books. Bye everyone. Bye.